Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Nightlight. We're having storms all over the place here, so um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my guest, whom is spectacular, and I am so excited that um, I talked her into coming onto the show. Her name is Mary Sutherland, and she's an author and researcher focusing her work on consciousness studies, ancient history, and unusual phenomena. She is a hands-on researcher, and her website provides us with hundreds of pages of information on the paranormal, UFOs, ancient races and their cultures, sacred sites, and PowerPoints of the world, underground tunnels and cave systems, dimensional worlds, and metaphysics. And in her spare time, uh, the governor of Kentucky has commissioned her as a Kentucky colonel for her work on the ancient sites of Kentucky. For the last five years, she's been exploring, mapping, and documenting the ancient underwater structures of Rock Lake near Aztalan. And for the last 14 years, she's been documenting the ancient sites around Burlington, Wisconsin. Truth is her passion. She believes it is through truth that we will break ourselves free of our our present entanglements of life. She's written a ton of books. Um, well, a ton of for me. She's she's written many books. They're all available on her website, which is www.burlingtonnews.net, and they are also available on Amazon.com. All you have to do is type in her name. That's Mary Sutherland, and you will find all of the books that she has written. She's an amazing lady. I've read two of her books, and I have to admit, I'm going to have to go back and read them over and over and over again, because um, she she is just so phenomenal as far as as her research. She is. Um, she's. I, I don't want to call her a fanatic, but I will tell you, she is very, very thorough, and um, she has managed to link so much together that that you know i never realized it linked and she has certainly put um a sense of uh she's she's put a sense of order to history on a on a level and to a degree that i i have never imagined possible i have to admit she has hit a number of topics that that for me have been fascinating over the years and I have to I have to say that she has gone so much more deeply into so many of the of the aspects of things that I have become fascinated with that it's unbelievable. I think that that uh, when it comes to research, when it comes to digging, she she does not there there is no one that is her equal. She's managed to chronicle time, as it were. And in that chronicling of time, she has managed to create a sense and put things in proper perspective. She goes back 25, 35,000 years. Well, not, not herself, of course, but, but she is, she's gone that far back in time. And she's put sense to a lot of the things that, that all of us have kind of looked at and wondered, you know, where does that fit in? How does that fit in? And especially with with one of my favorite topics, which as soon as we, and, and, you know, in case you didn't notice, I am stretching because we're having trouble contacting her. She's there and ready to come on. And um, we just aren't being able to make the connection. I think both Mary and Deb have have amazing storms going on in their areas. So uh, the weather is not, is not 
exactly helping us here. But two of my favorite subjects that Mary has has dug into and and made a lot of sense out of. Uh, one of them is giants, of course, which is one of my favorite subjects these days. I uh, I have been fascinated with them. I've often wondered why we aren't. Uh, putting the giants in the proper perspective, the proper time frame in our history, and 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 a little uh, upset because you know I have grandchildren that are learning history now, and it's a little upsetting to me that the giants are are ignored totally. Not only are they are not only are they ignored in history, but the fact that many of the famous people that we do study about in in ancient history were giants. Uh, another of the topics that Mary touches on and, and we're going to expand upon as soon as we get her on um, is the fact that that Atlantis actually was um, existed here. Deb, yes. Deb? <laughs> I, I'm trying to get her in. I dialed her. I don't know how it's going. She says there's lots of storms overhead. Um, I wasn't ignoring you. I was on the phone with her. Oh, is she on with you now? I I was just trying to bring her in through the um, to the station right now. Um, it's it's delicate connecting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is this is why everybody you have a producer because you can you can calmly sit here while she sweats up a storm someplace trying to make things happen. Um, no way in heck there was there was going to be Barbara producing this show because you would just hear me cursing and crying, and I'm pretty sure they'd take me off the air real fast. Um, Deb, you just jump in and tell me when you actually have her. Um, I, I do want to go go into two of her books, which which are just amazing, and I I highly recommend people read them. The Red-Haired Giants, Atlantis in North America, and Giants, Gods, and Lost Races. I prom- Hello? Um, I promise. I think Deb is calling her. <laughs> is that what that noise was, Deb? Probably. I was trying to, everything I'm trying to do to get her in, um, it doesn't seem to be sticking well. <laughs> Okay, I'll try again another way. Okay. Um, both of these books take history and chronicle it. And and often when I was in school, and you know how when you're in, in the lower grades, they study the, the Norse gods and you study the Greek gods and the Roman gods and, and you know, some other ones thrown in here and there. Um there are similarities between all of them and you kind of wonder, were they the same gods or, you know, were these different gods at different times or, and, and Mary makes sense of all of this. And, and I, I don't want to step on her dialogue because she probably puts it a lot better than I can. But a lot of the things that I wondered about as a child that the history books did not take care of, Mary has has kind of put in a in an in an order in a way so that so that it makes sense and it it feels right. Um, lots of times things that 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 are myths. You know, we've often been told that that fables and myths are just history waiting to be proven, and that appears to be what Mary Sutherland has done. She is she has brought 
a lot of the, the, the myths and the mysteries and explained them so that they have become a more real part of what could possibly be history. And uh, it, it, it was a pleasure to read her books. I'm going to have to go back and read them again because I actually want to do a timeline with all of this on it. I want to be able to put things in proper perspective. I'm, I'm more of a, of a hand of a, of a, let me see it person. So a timeline that, that, that stretches out going back. Oh, I don't know, you know, 10, 12,000 years ago. So that, so that I have an idea as to when certain things happened and, you know, one of my biggest peeves is, of course, the Native Americans and the giants. I know there were giants in this country. I know they've been discovered. I know that the, the bones are out there. And um, Jeepers, I'm wondering if that's her. I think it is. This is Mary. Mary is that you? Oh, that's thank God. Me. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've we're been... having a heck of a storm here. I thought at first maybe um, a tornado was hitting, but uh it seems, uh, I think that we, there might have been a tornado at some place, but it didn't hit here. But uh, we've got a lot of lightning and uh, oh. thunder and wind. So, you know, hopefully well, we'll be able to get this show going and continue it. Well, I have given you one of the longest introductions I've ever given anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And I am so glad that that we can finally roll up our sleeves and really we we have we have many similar areas that we both are fascinated with so um i'm i'm really excited about especially the giant stuff which has been one of one of my um things that has fascinated me over the last four or five years and a lot of the material i got um from patrick and and because because he was a biblical theologian, and so he was into the giants of the Bible. And then when we got into the me- megalithic stuff, they were digging up giant bones. And I kept saying, if, if all of these giants did indeed exist, then why aren't they in our history books? Well, um I guess for the reason that the government covers up just about everything that, uh, you know, everything that's out there. I mean, it, you know, they say history belongs to the conqueror. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, um, when government or, you know, when uh, countries come in and take over another country, they take over the, hi- you know, they take, o- uh, they replace the history with the history that they want to use to uh, to control the the people um, and to follow their agendas, and I'm sure that probably in the 1800s, you know, or mid 1800s, by the start of the Industrial Revolution, I think it was then that um, you know um, they just did. They figured they could probably put out anything they wanted to because who would have thought that there was going to be such a thing as the Internet yeah. where everything could be checked out, you know. So, you know, they just wrote the books according to their agendas and probably figured that everybody would go along with it. But, well, the, you uh, know, the, surprise, surprise. The thought you know, that... The internet came, you know, we Internet came about and... People had easy and quick access uh, to all this information around the world, you know, well, on an individual basis. 
well, know, internet... one researcher contacting another researcher saying, hey, you know, what do you got? Well, well, this is what I got. What do you got? You know, then we get on Facebook and, you know, the different, our websites and that, and we put it out there. And, uh, you know, basically uh, the people have changed the history back to, or trying to get the history back to where it originally was. Well, I you know, think the one, truth. Of, one of the most interesting things is, you know, when when theoretically the pilgrims arrived, you know, the only people here were little random tribes of Indians. And, you know, that wasn't true. I mean, the Indian nations no. were were amazing. and And prior to that, the giants were here. And they had an amazing culture. And it was all over uh, North America and, and even into South America. I mean, they were all over the world, but they almost seemed to have been sort of herded into North America. It feels like, like they were driven out of everywhere else, and they, they ended up here to have... Well, I don't think they ended up here. I think they started here. Okay. You know, um, when you go back to um, the history of Pangea, it shows one big mass of, or, you know, one large landmass. Mm-hmm. And then uh, came a time when um, um, there was a great cataclysm of sorts, which caused the mountains to rise and, uh, and the, these, um, uh, the land to separate. And if you go back into the ancient maps, or go back to the days of Pangea, you know, the maps there, you'll actually see that if you take all the countries that we have, you know, South America, Africa, Europe, you know, Egypt, and that you could actually take every one of those pieces and push them together. And it they fit, it, if you push them all together as one piece, they actually... It, 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 it looks like a jigsaw puzzle, and it just kind of, you put those all together as one, and they fit right into, you know, the other landmass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when you do that, and you take, well, actually, I got a website, uh, burlingtonnews.net forward slash maps, M-A-P-S. And I've got, um, like, uh, this little automated thing there where you could take a, your mouse, put it onto this um, um, this illustration, uh, automated illustration, and it will open. Uh, it will pull the um, the plates out. Well, you start with Pangea, then you pull the plates out, and it'll take you right up to where these um, these plates fit in What's present the, what- time. What's but then the you time? can push it all back together again, and you'll see that Africa, uh, Morocco, fits perfectly into the New Jersey area. Mm-hmm. And then Egypt fits perfectly up into the, um, uh, the Montauk, New York area. And so when they say that, when history says that um, mankind began in Africa... They're, they're not lying, but they're not telling the whole truth either because you can take those pieces and push them right together and you can see the eastern coast of the United States fits perfectly with the landmass of Africa and Egypt. 
Now, and there the was t- no, and there was no, um, there was no Atlantic Ocean. The Atlantic Ocean came about after you know the um, after these plates separated out, and and that you know where the separation was, water filled everything in. Thus, we got the Atlantic Ocean. But we know that Atlantis was then. Um, uh, was already operating at that point of time of, of Pangea. What was the time so frame when for you Pangea? Have a, well, how many I, I years hate ago? putting together. I really hate putting together timelines. Okay. But because they're they're they've been messed with so much that I kind of go how I date things is I go according to events. Okay. What was going on in these particular times? But I would assume that Atlantis probably had, we, I think that the end of Atlantis as a civilization was around 10,500 B.C., 11,000 B.C. Okay. But how long it was there prior to that could have been 30,000, 50,000, maybe even a million years. We don't know. Okay. But... But what I'm getting at is you'll hear a lot of researchers say, well, uh, Atlantis was in the uh, Atlantis Ocean. That's where you get the, the name of you know, the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. But it can't be because the Atlantic Ocean wasn't there during the time of Atlantis. Amazing. And you can see that illustrated on that um, website that I gave you. And this was a culture of giants. Yeah, uh, everything was giants in those days. Okay. Because we know that the we know that the people, the giants, existed back in the Jurassic period for sure. Because okay. we have we we have evidence uh, of tracks of these giant human footprints walking next to dinosaur prints. We found those down there in Pulaski, um River down in um, Texas. We've also found the same type of prints in Arizona, in northern Arizona. So we know, and then there's other places around the world that shows, you know, of dinosaur prints and human footprints. We've also found pottery, you know, showing um, uh, humans drawing uh, dinosaurs on their pottery. We've seen. Right. Dinosaurs um, um, depicted on cave walls and things like that. So we know, you know, I mean, it, it, there's no guesswork on that. I mean, that's evidence. But and now, now think about this. When now we're going to go back to biblical history, okay? okay? Um, and biblical history is. Um, Interesting and factual if you understand how to read it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, I mean, it's like um, uh, the layers of an onion. You know, you just kind of, you know, there, there's truth, but you've got to keep pulling it back, pulling it back, and pulling it back. The more, you, the more you peel off the onion, the more information you get. Right. You know, it's stories hidden within stories hidden within stories. But they, in Genesis, it said that, that um, uh, man was, was um, the caretakers of the animals. 
All right. Mm-hmm. So the animals were, you know, so it'd be in the seven days of creation. So within those seven days of creation, the animals were created, man was created, you know, and then on the seventh day he rested. Now, we know that there was dinosaurs. Now, during the Pangea period, or, or Jurassic period, that probably is what they were referring to in the Bible. But um, why would, because we know that man was there then. Okay, because mm-hmm. we've got that with the evidence of the footprints. Well, not only that, but, don't we now, have it? Don't we have it with uh, cave drawings too? Oh yeah, but what I'm getting at though is, you know, people. What we do is we just take information for granted. You know, it's it's all based on we've been indoctrinated to believe authorities. We believe our teachers, we believe our parents, we believe our religious instructors, et cetera, et cetera. So when they tell us something, we just naturally take it as a fact. Mm-hmm. We don't check into it. So, But if you do put your thinking hat on and you go back to that day and those days, you know, other dinosaurs, these giants, giant ferns, giant trees, giant animals, you know, why would God have made man five foot four? Right. And then placed him as caretakers of the of the animals. You know, how could man have even why would he even made man so small and expect for them man to be able to survive? Yeah, couldn't you know? have. They couldn't have, you know. It's not giving, certainly God, it wasn't giving them a fair playing ground, right? But but we know that that's, but based on evidence that we found, we know that that did not happen. The footprints we're finding back, way back that went during the Jurassic period were footprints of giants. Mm -hmm. And we found giant footprints you know, all over the world, you know, so we know, I mean, it's no longer a guess, you know, Um, it's a fact. And we know that as animals decreased in size, birds decreased in size, man decreased in size as well. Mm -hmm. So now what we have is, you know, what we have today, you know, the we we got some tall things like the giraffe and the elephant and that, but you know basically you know um, whatever type of animals we have, we our sizes are basically the same. Yeah, we're kind know. of pro- we're proportionate. Proportionate, yes. So, so okay, so now uh, what? So. If it went back to the time of Pangea, and it was one land, and and we know that man was here before the mountains raised. Okay. And when the mountains raised was at the same time as Pangea. So it has to be the same period of time. And if that's uh, and if that's the case, then uh, uh, the landmass. That's why we have the same world history is because. Man came from one place, uh-huh. then separated out, you know, when the, the land masses shifted. That makes sense. But 
when they say that Africa was the the the, the, the motherland of civilization of man. Okay, mm-hmm. the cradle, yeah. Very North America toenailed Africa. So whatever, if, if they're giving that as the cradle, Africa as the cradle of civilization, then the east coast of North America was too. Has to be. You just can't get around it. And so know, thus, if that's the case, and, and we've got these giant footprints along with the dinosaur, Uh And then we can go back to the ancient Vedic texts of the Mahabharata, Puranas and that. And they even talk about North America as being the land of the gods, the land of the giants. Wow. Um, And they talk about the beautiful, um, or they write about the beautiful palaces that uh, was here, um, in North America that was built to receive, you know, the uh, um, uh, different princes and things, uh, 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 emissaries that were coming to North America. And and it, it even talks about Krishna being in North America, you know, visiting uh, uh, royalty that yeah. was here. And they speak about... Um, I think it's in my book, um, Red Haired Giants. Yeah, I'm sure it is. In my book, Red Haired Giants, I, it, it even, you know, I, I even found evidence from these, um, there was a, a book that was written by the, um, by, I don't have the book in front of me, but I, it's based off this book that I found in Kentucky when I was down there, um, you know, um, researching and trying to find um, ancient Atlantean temples. And, um, but anyhow, I came across a book, a very old book, that was actually um, written by this person that had been commissioned by, believe it or not, the Smithsonian Institute to write about the ancient history of Kentucky in the Appalachian area. And and now this was paid for by the uh, Smithsonian. Uh, and in that book, it tells that in the Appalachian Mountains was where it was the territory of um, 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 Atlan. And, um, and that this was the, it was the great empire of Atlan, which would be Atlantis. Yeah, and that's and then is that how the Atlantis? I mean, the Atlantis got its name. I would imagine anything that you find with ATL, mm-hmm. you know, or a version of that, uh, is usually um, you know uh, you can look at it and see it as a, a, basically a reference, you know, um, to pointing to Atlantis. But but they talk about um, that. Um, but so anyhow, uh, and these and it also talks about how they were giants. And so we know, and so we know that the, the giants had uh, uh, that the whole country of North America was the home of the giants, also home of the gods. And they talk in the um, 
they write in the uh, Mahabharata, I believe it is, that um, uh, they talk about, oh, what was it? Um, lightning just struck you, so I kind of <laughs> lost my train of thought. <laughs> but um, but they but they talk about oh gosh I lost it like I said I lost my train of thought. Um, It'll come back. Yeah, but it the, will. The, the, yeah, the giant, clear, I hate that when that happens. Nah, but, you know I always mm, say it was a local. It'll come back. Um, yeah, but, but anyhow, it goes in. You know, and it and it talks about you know that oh I know what it was. They they referred to they referred to these gods. And giants, or uh, they they call them uh, magi, you know, and um, and you hear references of the magi in the stories about Jesus, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's pronounced magi though. I'm not sure, but it's where magic comes from. That you know, it's the word for, of magic, and they talk about how they had these strange powers of levitation and. You know, and they could do all these wonders. And so, anyhow, if you get it, if, if people buy my book, I, I have it all in there. You know, I I did a book uh, or a series of books in search of ancient man um, based on, oh, I don't know, about 15, 20 years close to, of information that I accumulated from rare, uh, lost um, rare and lost books, mm-hmm. and um, and then and then also I uh, used, uh, you know, I went around and talked to various, you know, talked to people on on the various legends and um, scientific uh, papers, you know, just a whole accumulation of notes. And uh, I was going to write a book on giants, but I had so much information that I. I said to my husband, I said, how am I going to write this book? I said, there's just too much. He says, do it as a volume, you know, a series. And so I ended up with a five-book series, In Search of Ancient Man. And uh, through that, I, uh, oh, gosh, I had I had the most amazing um, uh, work that you have ever come across because I because uh, I did not want to use the information that I could find on the internet uh-huh. you know because it's like the news some you know how the one station will have the same news and they just put a different spin on it and then right. another news picks it up puts another spin on it I didn't want to go that way what I wanted to do was find information that had been lost you know, to, you know, to the public, you know, hidden from the public. And, and that's what I did. I, I I just accumulated all this information and then I put it into book form. So the information I have in my books, you just, the only way you're going to find it on the Internet is if somebody had already copied it from me. Because a lot of the information, you know, through the years, you know, I have a, BurlingtonNews.net, and you know, through all these years, uh, I have uh, put, put a lot of my research onto those websites. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I tried to share as much information as I could prior to you know getting it in book uh, 
format. But um, so now it's available on the internet as well as in book format. Well, I, I but, loved uh, I, I loved how you took all of the the you know the the Norse gods, the Roman gods, the Greek gods, and you know all of them, and explained how they were all another re, a reflection of the same God. And yeah, and and that that's amazing. It, it, well, that see, that's what gets confusing. It's because well, I know what it did for me when I first started doing research because you know. I go. I'd start studying one country, and they'd have all these names for these gods, like Poseidon, you know, or whatever. And then you get to Egypt, and you're hearing Osiris, and and then you, you know, and then Buddha, and that, and it's just like, so you know. But they they have kind of the same story, and it's like, well, how can that be? You know, so there for a long time, you know, I I just took the information, put it all together, and then after a while it started making sense, and I realized that what it was, it was the same, it was the same story, and it was the same God. It's just that that country took that history and applied it to their country simply by changing the name. Yeah. And it just it just added so much confusion for everyone. And then another thing they did to make the story jive or their their religion to jive with the story is they would change the dates. Mm-hmm. Which is, that's why I don't like using dates in my books. You know, I do to a certain point just to you know for a little bit of clarity, but. I usually like to go with events happening around the world at that specific time so that people can see, okay, well, you know, this was happening. She's not giving a date, but over there in Egypt, this is happening. But I see also that in North America, something, almost the same thing was going on, mm-hmm. especially when I get into the stories of the War of the Gods. It was oh, the yeah. same war. And then, you know, like people, you know, they, uh, it, you know, when the, during the time of, you know, uh, Egypt's struggles, well, to find out at the same point of time, guess what? They were having struggles in um, Greece with Troy. It was a world war. And it was happening in North America, too. And the so the Great Trojan War was actually a great battle that took place during the time of Atlantis. It was the Atlantean Wars. And this is one of the final battles. So when I could get that into my books, you know, as a reference point, Mm -hmm. then all these other battles and struggles people were having, you know, and battles of gods and things and angels fighting demons, it all started to make sense. You know, they were just, they were all relating the same story. Yeah, different Over and over and over again, changing dates and changing names. So the different cultures just adapted the story to their culture. Right. And made it a part of their history. Yeah, exactly. Wow, and it got so confusing. People, well, you know, I mean, it is like 
I've probably been studying this for almost 20 years, you know. And it, it's like, um, but for, you know, even my, you know, myself, I mean, when I first started out, I wasn't, it was very difficult for me to make tales of what was going on. So, yeah, it, it you know, so people, they just say, I can't do this. <laughs> so, well, I'm just going to go to church on Sundays. I'll let the minister tell me. I'll let the priest <laughs> tell me. You know, how convenient for them, you know, because they had the answers. Then, of course, you know, if you had a question, well, you know, don't, you can't you can't do that because you can't question God because it's a sin. There, In one of my books, I tell about, you know, with the great flood, you know, and how the water level at one point in time had been almost taken to the, the, the very peaks of the tallest mountains. Mm-hmm. And so people in the 1800s, they're finding on top of these mountains seashells. Yeah. And it was like, well, wait a minute. You know, so they go to the church and they say, well, we're finding seashells at the top of these high, these mountains and these high hills and that. And we're finding them in the desert. And in, in, in my book, I say how these religious leaders would look at them and say, hey, you know, that's the devil trying to trick you. Yeah. <laughs> because well, now, if you, they, that's just a trick so that you question God. Now, and people the, say, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Oh, and that no, was, was the end of it. How simple life was for the religious leaders during that time. And up in North America, it was up until the middle of the 1800s that the people here in North America believed that the ancient um, uh, Hindu uh, were the uh, the mound builders. Yeah. The ancient Brahmins were the mound builders. You know, the earthen mounds and the temples uh-huh. that they were coming across. And they were correct. They were right. But they, but history back then got changed, you know, because they wanted to give credit because first of all, they wanted people to believe that the Indians were subhumans. Yeah. Uh, children of the devil. So, so to justify, to put the fear and the hatred into people's hearts, like they're doing now with Islam and that, uh, put the fear and the hatred in people's hearts so that they could easily kill them off you know, and take the land. Okay. But then finally, in finally came a time where, you know, the agenda changed and they didn't need to kill off the Indians because they already had their land. Right. So they said, so they gave credit to the Indians for these mounds and these temples that people were coming across. They said, Oh, well the Indians paid those, you know, which wasn't true because it was the ancient Brahmins, the ancient Hindu, the ones that wrote the Mahabharata, the people that were responsible for telling about Krishna being here in North America, you know, and, you know, these uh, d- uh, different dignitaries, you know, from the Far East and all around the world. So, so anyhow, um, they gave the credit to the Indians. So they changed history. But... 
I found in my research on the red-haired giants down in the Burlington area, I, uh, I had heard a story because we have uh, mounds there and um, and a and a, a flat stepped um, or a step flat top pyramid, mm-hmm. which is actually as big as Cahokia's. Wow! I mean, this thing is huge. It's big old big big old. Um, Bed and breakfast that sits on top of it now. Oh my gosh. You know, which is really cool because it's the only place in the world that you can actually spend the night on top of a pyramid. I've done it too, and boy, I'll tell you. And it's, the energy it, should be amazing. Oh my God, the energy. After I was on top of that, um, after I spent the night in that bed and breakfast up there, and I came off of it, you know, I went back to work at the cafe, I couldn't be around people for three days. I can believe it. It was their energy. I, you know, it did something to my energy that it was just like a person get close to me is like fingernails going down a blackboard. Well, now aren't aren't most of those structures built on vortexes and and oh yeah, a... for sure. People so... tell me they say, well, how do you find these vortexes? Vortexes, these portals to the other dimensions. I say it's simple. All you do is you find these um, you find these mounds, you yeah. know. And, and and these pyramids, um, these temples here in North America, wherever you find them, because that's what they do is they would use, first of all, they were using them for the energy, but they were also putting these temples on them too to mark these spots as energy points, you know. Exactly. So I cheat. I just go and I find, find the mounds and it's like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I just found a vortex, you know, and I start photographing it and everything else like that. But going back to my story, okay, uh, so when I get to Burlington, I find, you know, all these structures, you know, and uh, so I started asking around and somebody uh, and I found out that the old local um, Indian lore said that when the Indians got to this area, it, this would be southeastern Wisconsin, when the Indians got to that particular area, they came across a race of people that was already living there, Caucasian in color, red-haired giants. Wow. And they called them, um, uh-oh, uh, the, the Kokodesh. No, Hukadesh. I'm sorry. Hukadesh. Okay? And and I'm thinking, wow, Hukadesh. What, what is, I've heard that name before. Well, who is color, right? Or, you know. But Kodesh is the Battle of Kadesh. Ah. With, um, uh, what would it have been? Was it um, Ramses, I believe it was? Ramses II? Had um, had the big battle with the Hittites with, mm-hmm. on the, the, the that is, is like the border there, uh, be, you know uh, they were fighting over and it was called Kadesh, so it was a it, it, it was a great battle of Kadesh, but then when I start so I thought huh now how would the Indians you know have known about the Egyptian, Israelite, Hittite name of Kadesh. If they hadn't really seen these people, they yeah. could have just pulled it out of their, you know, pulled it out of the air, you know. So, okay, so now I know that there's a Kadesh. 
But then, you know, I started studying on the on the, on the on the word Kadesh because I'm thinking, well, where did well, so where did the Hittites get the name Kadesh, right? Mm-hmm. So I backed uh, I backtracked it, and I finally took it all the way back to Atlantis. And Kadesh is the the Atlantean um, uh, the Atlantean term for uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Moses did not have the original. The original was given to the Atlanteans from the star gods. It was a covenant that they had made as a promise that they would always be there to protect them. Amazing. So here we got this this ancient name. It all the way back to Atlantis. Traces back around into Israel or Egypt, and uh, you know, um, with the Egyptians and the Hittites, and then lands up in southeastern Wisconsin, right? <laughs> so, so anyhow, I'm checking this out, and then, and then, because um, I have a friend that um, um, he teaches. I think it, what's that called? Etymology. That I think it's etymology, the study of words. Etymology. I think that's it. Epinology? At, at, yeah, it's E.T. Or is, is it, I think it's, is it, is it E.P. or E.T.? E.T., I think. Yeah, etymology. Anyhow, it's the study of words. And he told me, and he used to, he's a professor, uh, I believe at Harvard. But anyhow, he used to call me up and talk to me all the time, you know, on private studies, teaching me how to use these words because he told me, he says, Mary, the word, the English words is a coded language for the Atlanteans. So you look for the root mm-hmm. and within that root lies the story. Okay. So that's how, you know, knowing this, this is how I started, you know, checking out Kadesh. But now, also, you know, there was a, a river that went through uh, the Burlington area called the Fox River. Do I talk a lot? <laughs> 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 but anyhow, there's this river that goes through the Burlington area called the Fox River. Well, that's mm-hmm. not the original name. The, the original name was um, uh, Pishtaka. Pishtaka was... And that's what the Indians called Pishtaka. Uh-huh. And um, anyhow, I checked that out, and Pishtaka is a Brahmin name. Okay? Huh. For, and meaning rice. And uh, when Lewis and Clark came down through this area, they also wrote about this river of rice, which would be in, in, um, in Brahmin terms. Pishtaka, rice, wow. river, right? So now, here we've got these Indians again, you, talking about the Pishtaka River. So well, how many of they know Brahmin, <laughs> if they were the original <laughs> people, right? Yeah. So, okay, so now I'm thinking on that, and I'm thinking Brahmin, Brahmin. And so I started, and then, but I can place this now back in the time of Abraham, Right? Also, because Abraham was the father of all nations, right? Right. So, I got to playing with Abraham. And you take, now this is where, oh my gosh, my brain is not functioning tonight. Um, 
I use it word all the time too, but you know, it's like when one, well, so you kind of start anagram. It's an anagram. Okay. Abraham is an anagram because if you take the a off the front of Abraham and put it in the back, you have Brahma. (laughs) That's quite, he was the father of all nations. He was Brahman. Okay. Okay, so Brahman was ancient Hindu. Okay. Which used the Brahman language, and that's where the Pishtaka River came from, and that's where the uh, uh, the, the Hokadesh, the name Hokadesh, comes from. And then I followed it up with the local Mormon history, um, because the brass plates were found there. The golden plates that started the... Uh, the um, the Mormon religion was found mm-hmm. in the hill of Kumara. Okay, Ra for sun would, god would in New York. Of, would would this sort of all also go to the fact that in the Grand Canyon there are mountains yes, that all exactly. have Egyptian names? Yes, exactly. They were it wasn't Egyptian; it was Brahmin. Okay, Cause because Buddha, they found a Buddha statues. In those, um, in the, you know, in those caves, you know, in the Grand Canyon. Right. And yeah. like I said, up until the mid 1800s, the the people here in North America believed that this land once was, uh, once was um, uh, controlled by the Hindu, hmm. you know, and so, you know, and it just. It just went back and forth, back and forth. And it's just, and then, and then I also found, because a lot of people, when they start doing um, research on, uh, on what ancient America was, what they do is they go to Google and they type ancient America or ancient United States of America. Yeah. But they don't realize that there were so many other names that America had before it was given the name America. And one of the names was Pushkara. P-U-S-H-A-K-A-R-A. Pushkara. Uh That's a Brahmin name. And what were these Brahmins? It went back to the times of, we do know that they went back to the times of Abraham. And we also, and while I'm doing all this, and I'm studying up on the fact that, you know, that the chances are where you're going to find Atlantis is right up there in the Nova Scotia area, come right on down to the East Coast right down through there, up into the Appalachian, you know, up into the Appalachian Mountains. That was their uh, territory. Uh, and then, of course, when, you know, the, the plates separated, then it was filled in with water, which became the Atlantic. So most of the evidence of Atlantis would be now, today, found under the Atlantic Ocean, so in a way, there wasn't really lying, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But they wasn't really telling the truth either, because Atlantis used to be right well in Pangaea. Then the plates separated out, and the there was a portion of the eastern coast that 
sunk underneath the water, you know, as it did in every, you know, uh, every other country as well. So, and Atlantis was a, a world trade. So it, it's just, sometimes it's just common sense thinking. Because look at, if, if something happened to our world today, and that, I don't know, a thousand years later, somebody rediscovered, you know, North America, they probably think that uh, this was owned by China because we bought so much from China. And you see all this <laughs> Chinese stuff on it, right? You know, labels. So okay. same way with Atlantis. It was a world trade. So you're going to see evidence of Atlantis and Greece and Egypt and Europe and Africa and all over. But according to the ancient texts, you go right on back to those ancient texts, uh, uh, you know, the Maharata, the Purana and that, and, and all of them. You can even find it in the Grecian history, you know, uh, of North America being the land of the gods, the home of Atlantis. So that that's what I've been doing. You know, everybody else is out there, you know, um, you know, uh, the government gives them grants and stuff as long as they keep their research out of North America. You know, so, yeah. you know, the archaeologists, they go, they get their grant money and they go out there and they dig around. They find something, but they found, you know, usually they've got some sort of a non-disclosure paper that they've had to fill out. So if they did find anything, you know, taking it back to North America, the people would never know about it. You know. Yeah, and I'm afraid they don't. I, I mean, the the fact that 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 the the Iroquois nation was so huge, and yeah. they don't they don't they don't talk about that. You know, there's no. a, a book 1491 and 1492, and it's it's about you know just just how massive the empires were. That the oh, Indians. that's what like like the red haired giants. That's mm-hmm. all. That's a that tells you the whole history. Of uh, the giants and how and how the the Iroquois nation came about, the battle between the giants and the Iroquois, you know, the Confederacy, okay. uh, you know, uh, takes it all the way on through how the Iroquois nation was so large that eventually they had to break it down into tribes, yeah, you know, Mary, in order a, to govern it. We've got a five minute break. Sure, we'll be right back. Sure.
break. Right during the break. Go potty, man. Go potty. Go. Go potty. Go. Just put him right out, regardless. And we're back. This is Nightlight. And if you like what you're hearing, click over to the support page and make a donation to help us keep this amazing station up and running. Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com is totally listener supported. From the owner to the host to the producers, who we can't live without, to the staff, all are working here because we love the work and are dedicated to putting out quality material for all of you. Be it large or small, every donation is greatly appreciated and helps us all keep supplying information and material to educate and hopefully enlighten you that isn't found elsewhere. I have a great guest here tonight. I have Mary Sutherland with me, and we are connecting historical dots and trying to make sense of what history hasn't really told us. And and it's quite a journey. (laughs) Welcome back, Mary. Okay. Now, hold on just a second. Okay. Uh, It gave me a chance to let my dog out to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Now, if I can, if I may, uh, what I'd like to do is shock your listeners. Oh, please. Or at least not shock them so much as to get their brain turning. Okay. Okay. Because you know how everybody is afraid of the Nephilim? Yes. You know, they say that the Nephilim are um, uh, of Satan. You know, yeah. everything's a Nephilim, right? Well, what would you say, or what would your listeners say, if I have evidence, or a lot, well, yeah, evidence to show that the people that we most fear... Well, of course, we know that uh, the giants were called Nephilims, too. But the people that we most fear, the Nephilim, may be us. Well, I would agree and with you, but, but I'm sure they wouldn't. So, so you know, shock away. Okay. So, first of all, I want to, okay, now, let's see. Now, I'm going to read a little bit of this, okay, because of the fact that it is something, you know, that people are going to want to know about and want me to show them, you know, what I've got, okay, to prove this. Okay, first of all, with Noah, we're going to go right to Noah. And remember, in the biblical, it says Noah was chosen because he was seen by God as his blood not being corrupted with sin, or he was without sin. Okay, you remember reading about that, or that was the excuse that why he was he was chosen by God. But but as you will soon understand, without sin was not a question of good and evil, but bloodline. Uh Noah was a giant Nephilim, and after the flood, he and his family went on to produce a line of Anunnaki desirables or, quote, chosen ones, unquote. So when when you hear people talk about the chosen ones, this is what it's all about. The Muhammad tradition has it that the giant Og, king of Bashan, was Noah's nephew, the son of Noah's sister. 
And according to Jewish legend, Noah saved Og from the from the flood by making a place for him near the lattice door of the ark. The giant Magog was also the grandson of Noah. And then I'm going to kind of skip ahead. Okay, uh, well, let's no, let's just go on. As the story goes, the book of Enoch states that Enoch's son, Methuselah, brought to his son, Lamach, a woman for him to marry. All through her pregnancy, Lamach believed the child his wife was carrying was his, but upon birth, Lamach realized that something was very wrong. The child did not even look like him, and to top it off, he was like that of the Nephilim. The child was described as being born with skin as white as the fallen snow. His hair was as white as sheep's wool, and his eyes were so brilliant that they were like the sun that illuminated their home. In the blood of Lamach, scraps of which have been recovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls, Noah was so physically different when he was born, Lamach appealed to his father, who in turn asked Enoch whether or not Noah had been conceived by the Nephilim. Lamach went to Methuselah and said, I have begotten a son unlike other children. He is not human, but resembles the offspring of heaven. He is of a different nature, being altogether unlike us. His eyes are bright as the rays of the sun, his countenance glorious. He doesn't look as if he belongs to me, but to the angels. Lamarck pleaded with Methuselah to go uh, talk to Enoch and find out the truth about his wife and this unusual child. At length, Enoch was finally found at the extremities of the earth which I think was probably North America, and told of Noah. Although Enoch assured him that Noah was the child of Lamach and that there was no deception, a red flag goes up when Enoch further comments that the children of Noah would beget giants upon the earth. Enoch says, This child who is born to you shall survive on the earth, and his son shall be saved with him. When mankind on the earth die, he shall be saved, and his posterity shall beget on the earth giants, not spiritual, but carnal. Therefore, inform Lemach that he who is born is his child, and he shall call his name Noah, for he shall be to you a survivor. With the birth of Noah, a plan for the destruction of earth and its surviving bloodline was put into play. And so it was, through the descendants of Noah, a line of elected ones were born who created secret societies that moved among the masses, communicating with one another through secret codes and symbols. And I have, and I also have other, you know, um, stories in here, you know, about Noah being, you know, of, of this uh, chosen race. But so it had nothing to do with the sin. Had the sin had nothing to do with anything. Corruption of this, you know, was uh-huh. without corruption. What it was is that they were introducing a new bloodline, and and that was Noah's. Okay. And, well, now, say Patrick was also a giant. Um, a lot of the people, mm-hmm. a lot of the people in our in our biblical history, especially, um, are, were giants, and and they don't um, talk about them that much. I know that that in the Toth material, um, Toth, Toth it talked about the small humans. 
so that right. you have to assume that the Toth and his followers were um, were also giants, and and of course with the Egyptian stuff, all of the big statues, I swear, are are life size statues. They weren't meant to be exaggerated, so that so that there are there are statue there are statues of giants. And people don't even realize that they were the giants that were, you know, building pyramids and stuff like that. Sure. And, and then I think if if you look at this with the story of Noah and that they were introducing a new bloodline, a Nephilim bloodline from the Anunnaki, it seems to me like you had two sets of giants born. One was the, the, the original set, you know, that they talk about in Genesis, you know, uh, going back to the days of Pangea. All right, where we found the 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 footprints of the humans, giant humans walking with dinosaurs, but then there was another set of hu- a giants that the Anunnaki introduced through Noah. Okay. Yeah, you know, and um, and then there's um, another thing that um, I had come across. I have it in the book, and it's um, it's. It's about, uh, let's see, it's about, uh, according to, let's see, according to the book of Genesis, after the deluge, when Noah drank too much wine, he collapsed in his tent in a drunken stupor. His son Ham entered and saw his father naked and told his two brothers, who proceeded to go back into tent with a cloth and covered the naked Noah. Finding out that Ham had seen him naked, Noah loses all sense of reason and puts a curse on him and his son Canaan. One must have to question as to why he had such an irrational reaction to his son seeing him naked. Was it because Ham saw the vestige of his reptilian heritage? Could Ham have seen his father the sign of the Nephilim, which had appeared as a large badge-like area of scaly skin or hide on his chest. This patch of scaly skin is also mentioned in the Hindu classics in the Mahabharata, one of the demigods, Karna, is born of the sun god, Shura, and an earth mother. As such, he is born clad in a coat of armor like a divine being. Just as Hindu's son God was Karna's father, the same may have been true of Melchizedek, who is also called Adani, Zedek, meaning my lord is Zedek. Zedek was the Hebrew name for the Roman sun god Jupiter. The tradition of the priesthood of Melchizedek is entirely dropped from the Old Testament and instead is vested in Aaron, brother of Moses, later to be replaced by the tribe of Levi or Levites. The priesthood of Melchizedek was kept alive, however, by the Mormons, who gave his tradition precedence over all other priests in the scriptures. So, a scaly patch of skin. Mm-hmm. You know, because, see, it never made sense to me as why uh, him would have been, and, and, and his children would have been so cursed. Yeah. Unless we're keeping, Ham had seen something on his father that nobody else saw, which gave away his true identity, which yeah. would have been, again, the Nephilim blood, which, of course, in, um, in ancient text shows reptilian, you know, scaly mm-hmm. skin is a scaly skin. And 
and we still, but what this patch of scaly skin is, I don't really know. Um, the only thing I can think of that we have that's scaly skin, you know, is maybe possibly psoriasis, maybe psoriasis from, you know, uh, maybe it, it, it's a genetical flaw, you well, know, if you, from if you, if you look you know, at, Anunnaki's if, or something. If you look at the giants themselves, they were fair skin, they were red haired. I mean, and you, I mean, there there were other um, identifying criteria. They had extra digits on their hands and their feet. They had double right. rows of teeth, so right. that so that it it may well have been a genetic um, a genetic screw up uh, be, because you know when when the the fetus is developing there are times when it 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 is almost fish-like so you almost kind of wonder if if scales could have been something that that, that could have happened um you know being a skin condition and well i've seen in um my some mayan uh, drawings you know of this god you know, that is looking, a giant that is looking down on one of the priests. And he is, uh, he looks reptilian. He, he's he got the scaly skin and mm-hmm. a long tail. And we're born into, you know, not born, but as we're developing, we have that, uh, we have a tail. You know, uh, the fetus does. Well, and yeah. then the tail falls away prior to birth. But we always, you know, we always had that little indentation, you know, mm-hmm. right below, you know, our uh, spine. Okay. Yeah. Well, and but, you know, but but today it's 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 interesting because um, I I know people who have the fair the fair skin, the reddish hair, double rows of teeth, extra digits. Um, right. And some, somebody did contact. Um, Patrick, when, when, when he was alive, he had Matrix Radio, a woman actually from Michigan uh, called up and said that she was sure that she was um, of one of the tribes of, of Ireland. And, and she went on to tell us that everybody in her family had the, the fair hair, the, the um, fair skin, the red hair, the extra digits and double rows of teeth. And she, she wanted to to know if that could be that they were genetically linked to the tribes of giants. And, and I do believe that, that, that gene is something that, that many carry more obviously than others. Yeah. I, I call it, um, you know, I, I, not call it, but you know, I, I think what it is, it, it's uh, a recessive gene mm-hmm. that, you know, in, you know, in it's always there. You know, it's, it's like our DNA, you know, we have everything in that DNA from the time we were created, you know, and so, so you'll see, you know, people, uh, being born with this recessive gene, you know, from the giants where, you know, uh, they have the double rows of teeth, the, you know, the six digits, um, the red hair, uh, and we also have blonde hair, but the red hair, I believe that the red-haired giant comes from the line of Cain, you know, okay. and um, and the line of Dan. Well, see, Dan is Cain. You know, that that's another anagram. 
because the the D and the uh, the D and the C yeah. can be interchanged. Ah. Because remember, the Egyptians they only used um, the, they took out all vowels so that they could put them in as they chose. You know, but, but what it would have the same meaning. So Dan is Don is Din, Sweden and all those places like that. The the Mark Kane, you know, they always would call things by Dan or Din or Kane or whatever. But wherever you find those places, that's where you also find that red-haired trait. And it doesn't really make any difference what color your skin is, you know, because, you know... um, because I, I, I've, I've seen uh, people of color, you know, uh, black, brown, red, having freckles. Well, so yeah, I'm, yeah, but the, you know, the, it's the, to me, it's the freckles that count, you know, not the color of the skin so much. Because but, the freckles is, is that recessive gene coming out from the line of, uh, of Dan. I mean, wouldn't the double rows of teeth and the extra digits be a dead giveaway? Well, sure, sure. There's no doubt about it. But I think a lot of people think that, you know, you got to have that, you know, uh, that white skin. And, and that's not necessarily true now when it comes to a recessive gene. And then, of course, there's lost races, too, you know, mm-hmm. because we found in North America, I mean, complete graveyards of, of, of little people with their little tools and everything uh, buried with them. I have a... I have a website, burlingtonnews.net forward slash little people. And I have a list by state of where all these little graveyards and or burial places that these little people have been found. And, and I think that, you know, um, uh, the little people that you have today, you know, mm-hmm. that we used to call midgets, but we don't do that because it's not... Uh, um, um, what, socially uh, appropriate <laughs> but I think that that's a recessive gene you know oh, yeah. um, and um, well and don't then, you think don't you think in a way that all of the all almost no I, I, I would say all of the myths that, that have been passed down through through hundreds thousands of years they, they you know Patrick used to say a, a myth is only a fact waiting to be proven. And and so the fairies and the fae and the djinn and all of them actually I do believe existed and still may in some form exist yeah. uh, today. So, so that- well, I photographed them. I, I know for a fact, you know, uh, when you go into the stories, you know, of Ireland, you know, and, and, and the British Isles and that, they talk about the truth they do not. And um, and they um, they're your redheaded giants. Um, they came from the uh, the 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 people of uh, Dan, the tribe of Dan, and they talk about how you know um, there was great battles and he, they disappeared into the mounds. They live within the hills and nobody can see them, but they have the ability to become or make themselves invisible. They have the ability to uh, shape shift. And so, you know, uh, it, I we have um, Bigfoot too, you know. I really think that, you know, if they're going to, they they found evidence of, um, well, how, how uh, gigantic, 
<laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it. But, you know, uh, they've, they've found uh, skeletal remains of them. And they want to call them apes, but they find tools with them. Uh -huh. they, most of the time that they don't report. But, I mean, they were using tools. There's been a lot of findings with these giants that they call the Gigantolithius. Um, but um, I'm thinking that if they want to go that direction, you know, with with these with that uh then they best be redefining the name or the term ape uh -huh. because it doesn't fit and you know and and I think that bigfoot if you if you look at them you know they're 7 8 foot tall and they're um uh they uh they're among us. I mean, there's more than enough evidence today to prove that the, the Bigfoot do exist. And you can go all the way back into um, um, uh, the creation stories of, uh, of, um, of the Anunnaki when they were creating a, a slave race. They were using uh, uh, the. They were using um, the wild, hairy man of the forest. Hmm. And well, and so so you got it there. And then if you go into the stories of the epic of Gilgamesh, uh -huh. he it talks about the goddess went out into the because Gilgamesh was lonely because he was a giant and everybody else was small and uh, he needed companionship. So the goddess went went out into the, the, the forest and found the wild hairy man that had always been there as a guardian of, you know, the animals and that. And uh, she talked him into uh, joining up with Gilgamesh. And, but, and he was called Enkidu. But I believe that Enkidu was actually... Uh, well, it, his name was Enkidu, but every, from that point on, all these wild, hairy men, women of the forest were called Enkidu. Huh. So I think that that's the first name for Bigfoot was Enkidu. But all through ancient texts, it talks about these giant humans that were covered in hair that preferred to be away from humans but and live among the among nature. And apparently when Enkidu and Gilgamesh got together, they went about, you know, uh, attacking neighboring countries and stuff like that. And they lost this big battle and the god stepped in and says, okay, um, you guys are going to be punished. We're separating you out. And with Enkidu, he says he sent him into, um, you know, into earth. Uh-huh. Uh, into the depths of earth where he would remain. Well, that would be the cave systems. Okay. Yeah, and, and there are earth. Cave, yeah, there are earth. tunnels and caves that that we don't And we, so Enkidu said that's fine by him because he says from this day forward we will never have anything to do with man again. And I think that they've held true to their promise that they 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 drifted aside. It, it's a parallel human type race okay 
uh, a giant race that um, that evolved right parallel with us humans, and but we were we with us though as we evolved, all the knowledge of the gods had been taken away from us. We lost all that knowledge, whereas the Enkidu or the Bigfoot maintained because they wasn't um, they wasn't brought up the way we were. Uh, they maintained all that knowledge. So they have all the knowledge of the forest and all the knowledge, you know, of of how to open doorways, portals, to go into all these other dimensions. They have the knowledge of how to make themselves invisible or to shape-shift, you know. Do you think that, that just perhaps science is so wrong trying to to create a link from from monkeys to humans and that really there were so many different species here on the planet that that you know that humans perhaps came in as humans they didn't evolve from anything and and the giants came in as giants and I I agree with you totally I mean why not Well it makes more sense to me than trying it does. to to make one whole string of, you know, here's how we evolve from this to this. I mean, well, I mean, you know, common sense is, well, you know, they say monkeys evolved into humans. Well, if that's the case, then how come there's still monkeys? Yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> you know, so I think that we, I mean, we may have looked somewhat different, but I don't think so. I remember a time that they used to show like um, uh, the Neanderthal man as, uh, or the Cro-Magnum man as like a caveman, you know, with a, you know, stooped over, hairy, you know, um, with mm-hmm. a big brown forehead. <laughs> and and now, now they realize that, no, that wasn't the case at all. They look just like us today. Mm-hmm. You know, and now they're depicting them like us today, you know, wearing maybe skins or whatever. But, you know, but, but you know, the thing was, they portrayed the Andrethal man, which is Cro-Magnum man. They just, they described them exactly, exactly the same way as they described Indians, North American Indians. Yeah. When they described them to people in Europe and that. Yeah, exactly. You know, because they wanted to make them look unintelligent, subhuman. Mm-hmm. And then when they changed the agenda, you know, uh, when they killed a lot of them off, got their land, then they made them beautiful people. But up until that point in time, they made them look just like how they make made the uh, cavemen look when we were growing up. Yeah, it's, it's it. You know, the the education system today is just it. What it's teaching the children is just so not true. It's it's horrifying. Well, my uh, grandson, you know, because I've seen the Bigfoot. I, you know, I'm a Bigfoot hunter. You know, I go out there, you know, and I I, I search for them, and I've actually, you know, I've been rushed by them. I've had rocks thrown at me. I've been howled at. You know, I've gathered footprints and found the structures. You know, it, I mean, there's no doubt that they're out there. And so anyhow, when uh, my my uh, little grandson, uh, he went to, he's 
went to kindergarten and he was telling the, the kids about Bigfoot and the teacher took him off to the side and said, don't you ever talk about Bigfoot here. That's nothing but a lie. Then contacted his parents and had a meeting with the parents, which my son and his wife, and told them that Bigfoot was nothing but a story and she did not want him in school ever again talking about Bigfoot or they, he would be reprimanded. And she said, I don't care if you talk about it at home, but I do not want him believing in them enough where, you know, he talks about them at school. Well, wow. Okay. Well, so much for killing a person, a kid's imagination. Yeah. You know, I mean, even if it wasn't true, who the teacher, she was deciding as to how this little kindergarten boy used his imagination. Well, teachers are not teaching kids to think or to reason anymore. They're 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 cramming false history down their heads and they're just they're making them into they're dumbing them down, which scares the heck out of me. And they're not even taking into this is what scares me about it is they're not taking into consideration that a child's brain develops into adulthood. Mm-hmm. So a, kind, a, a child in preschool or pre-kindergarten does not have the brain evolved as of an adult, but they discipline the child as if he or she did. And, you know, because when a child's out of preschool, they, they, they don't understand consequences of their actions. You know, they just act out, you know, which they should because that's part of the development is acting out. But now the kids act out and they're punished. Even having police officers come to come to schools and take them out with handcuffs for acting out. They're programming them, and and you know it's when you go back. Well, to, either that or the the teachers do not recognize the fact that a child's brain is still developing and cannot be held on the same level as a a, a brain that has developed to the point of understanding consequences for their actions. That's true too. No, it yeah. it's when you look at how children were taught, you know, long ago. They, they were taught by their parents. They were homeschooled. They were taught by personal experience with their parents. And, and, and you go back to the, to, the, to the Native Americans. You go back to, um, you know, the further back you go, the better the education actually was. Right. So, well, I, I'm an author. I got seven books out, working on three more. And the reason for it is because... I remember as a child sitting on my dad's knee and dad telling me all these wonderful stories, Mm -hmm. you know, princesses, you know, and unicorns and whatnot, right? But he did that so to help, well, I don't know if he did it deliberately or not, but it it developed my imagination to the point where I today write using my imagination as always questioning things, you know, wanting to know more, you know, regardless. And um, 
in children today, if it's they'll they'll try to act out something out of using their imagination and say something, and people will say, "Well, that's a lie. You're a bad person because you lied. Now go sit in the corner." Well, no. Let them use their imagination as long as it's not hurting somebody, of course. Sure. But, you know, the the neat part about imagination, because you know how people always say, well, you know, that's just your imagination. Because you say, well, I've seen a Bigfoot or, you know, I've seen a UFO or whatever. You know, I've seen a ghost, whatever. And people will look at you and they'll say, well, that's just your imagination. <laughs> to me, I say, thank you. Because... Remember before I was saying about how you take words, you know, they're anagrams and how you sure. take the words, you split them into roots, you know. And if you break down the word imagination, it says, I am a nation of magi. Well, that's and cool. And what did magis do? They were the ones that were responsible for the magic that's mm-hmm. brought into the world. So that is a good thing. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a nation of magi. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, the right. thing is, if you don't believe in, in, in the magic, then, then you take away the fact that you are capable of the magic. I mean, right. it, it's... Because thoughts create. Absolutely. And the reality is we have the potential inside of us for amazing things. And Well, I think... Don't you think that that is one of the things that they fear the most is because whoever these controllers are that are making up this agenda, creating these little human robots, uh, they, they know who we are. They know that we're a nation of magi. They know that through our thoughts, we can create great things, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we are their biggest enemy. Because if we ever came to understand who we were, they would lose all power over us. Yeah, Patrick used to say that we are who we're, we've been waiting for. We and, are. And I truly believe that. I, I, I believe that, that within each of us is the potential for it's unlimited. It, it truly is unlimited. And, and it's, it's just, you know, we stand in our own way by our fear of, of, you know, people judging us. But the reality here is that, you know, now I, I'm not saying that, that, you know, everybody can go out and levitate tomorrow morning, but I am well, saying. Could, but well, they could. I mean, if they really believed in the magic and they could, uh, they could, um, uh, you know, control how they vibrate. They could control their frequency. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Aren't well, there, they could. Come on, there are Tibetan priests that can control their breathing so that they only have to take a breath once every 15 or 20 minutes. Um, yeah. there, have been, there have been people that have, you know, worked at and, and developed the ability to, to, to do amazing things. And we all have right. that potential. Everyone has we the do. same potential. And and it's kind but we of don't. Like, well, that's why your show is so important, and other shows like yours, is because people they they become conscious of what they're capable of. And it's you amazing. Know? Huh? It's it's truly and it's amazing. I know that 
that people will say to me, you know, how do you do what you do? And, and it's, it's, you know, I tell them it's like a muscle. You work on it and you develop it and it becomes, you know, it serves you better and better and better. And it, it's, it's just, it's, it's training and it's working at it. Um, it's nothing comes easy, but, but nothing is impossible either. So, so it's, it's a matter of, you know, what do you want to commit yourself to? And lots of people don't want to do the work, and that's okay. But Well, yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, like I'm on the same path as you, I'm sure. And, you know, when I discovered my, my power, per se, uh, and I was able to start looking past that veil and understanding how, you know, the universe works with synchronicity and how miracles really do happen mm-hmm. and we can travel in our mind and we can create this and we can create that. It was just like the whole world opened up to me, you know, and it was so exciting. I couldn't wait until, you know, I was awake again so that I could experience and watch the birds coming in, you know, as signs or uh, a, a penny, finding a penny on the ground or, you know, all these little synchronicities, a butterfly flying by me, knowing that this was the universe actually speaking to me, giving me signs, showing me the way for this or that, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's just when you discover that world, oh, my God, you could never, I mean, People get afraid and they say, well, I can't do that. I'm afraid. But they don't understand once you've experienced that magic in life and you give yourself permission to just be able to ask, you know, and realize that you will receive and ask questions and get answers. And I mean, I mean, you'll never go back to the old way. You couldn't. No. And, you know, the other fable that that I am happily living through myself is that the older you get, the more active your mind is, the younger you really are. Yeah. yeah. And so many people, you know, I, I have a friend who was a scientist and when she retired, she just stopped doing anything and she's now going into dementia and, yeah. and it's, it's sort of like, holy mackerel. Um, you know, there's so much out there to learn. There's, you know, you kind of say there's not enough time, but you you cram in as much as you possibly can because it's exciting and it's it increases your vibration and increases the intensity. It increases the the um, the vibrancy that you look at life with. I mean, everything changes. And I remember when I lived down in Arizona. You know, I. You know, Arizona and California, there's not such a thing as old age. <laughs> you know, everybody's mm-hmm. having, out there having way too much fun, right? And, you know, and you wanted to say youthful looking, you know, and, and athletic. Because you wanted to climb those mountains and surf and whatever. You know, or just be with your friends for the day, right? Mm-hmm. It, but... I, and you would see that all these women, they just looked young, regardless of their age. You know, they just had that that energy about them, that um, lightness. You know, in their walk even, there was a, a briskness, an energy. Oh, yeah. And then you would go and you'd look across, because I used to live in Arizona. 
And so, but I also lived, had lived in Wisconsin. Now I'm back into Wisconsin, Illinois area. But I would, but see, in the Midwest, you're taught differently. Uh-huh. You're you're done at forty, you know, pretty much. Kids are raised, you know, and you know, and you just watch these women. They just kind of uh, they bend over when they're walking. They put, they're usually on an average of 20, 30, maybe even 40 pounds heavier, you know. Um, they cut their hair short, you know, put, you know, do the wave permanence, whatever, you know. And it, it's just like 40 is young, for God's sakes, you know. Yeah. I mean. 60, 70 is young in California, Arizona, New Mexico. Uh-huh. But here, 40 gets old, yeah. you know. And, 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 and you watch them because they've been programmed this way. So they just become, it's just like you can just slowly see this whole thing kind of like um, smoke just kind of settling down over their body. Well, you, you know, know, just because just you retire doesn't... But in the last 10 years, though, I have, well, actually, I've noticed it since the Internet actually started up, you uh-huh. know, because now people, once the Internet was up, people were able to communicate back and forth. Yeah. So from the Midwest, talking to the people from the, you know, the uh, West Coast and that, and, and they're all sharing pictures and and now here in the Midwest, all of a sudden people are starting to eat better instead of just be, you know, um, mashed potatoes and um, meat, you know, and, you know, and cakes for dessert and ice cream and a gallon of milk. You know, they're starting to eat better and they're they're exercising. And now most of your Midwestern women are Pretty much, you, they could pretty much go to California and blend right in. But it's all a matter of how you think about yourself and how, and how the society has convinced you as to who you are. Mm-hmm. Don't, people don't, uh, see, I teach empowerment, self-empowerment. I tell people, don't go to somebody else and ask them what they think of what you thought. Because the thought's coming from you. Right. You have to go inside and find out from you what you thought. Go to yourself and say, did I see a UFO? Or was that really a Bigfoot I saw? Can't go someplace else, second, third, fourth party, and tell them that you've seen a Bigfoot and then try to have them tell you if you really saw a Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Or was it something that escaped from a zoo? Because you were the only person that saw it. Right. How do they know what you saw or what you felt? Yeah, and you know, society is strange because I know I I did in the 60s see a UFO. And the kind of um, teasing and, and almost abuse that I got where people telling me I was crazy, I couldn't possibly have seen it. And I kept saying, no, I know what I saw. and. Yeah. You know, I, I, you you don't have to believe me, but I know what I saw, and I'm very secure in what I saw, and I'm I'm not nuts. And 40 years later, it was documented that there actually was one there, and um, I have to admit that there was a great sense of relief that it had been documented. But 
you know, it was something I was not going to let people bully me out of because I did see something. Well, you know, I get phone calls all the time because I also do paranormal and UFO research, you know, and I get call-ins all the time. First thing people say, first thing, you may think I'm crazy, but, (laughs) right? But they've been so conditioned to be ridiculed. And, And I can honestly say my parents, they brought me up to feel confident in myself and self-empowered and it's like I'm just one of those people when I see something (laughs) nobody's going to tell me I didn't see it if I experience something nobody's ever going to tell me I didn't experience it it's like I'm very secure in what I see what I hear what I feel what I know and I'm not afraid to go against the you know the the consensus of the public you know as to what's real and what's not. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do the books I do. You know. Well, that's that's for sure. And you have you have a very understanding husband too. He is your partner in crime. Uh, oh, for sure. He, he's he's an earth angel. You know. He, <laughs> he's always he's right there. I mean, totally open minded. I mean, I had him the other night <laughs> howling at the moon. Remember, we had that beautiful full moon. Oh yeah. And I. I said, Brad, look at that moon. He says, yeah. I says, howl at it. What? I says, howl at the moon. And he says, well, there's neighbors. I says, forget about the neighbors. Howl. And he goes, oh. He looks at the moon and he goes, oh. <laughs> I said, well, that's a puppy whoop if I've ever seen one. <laughs> but he did it, <laughs> you know. It's a stuff. Yeah, he's open-minded to everything. Well, now, but even, I- you know, jokingly aside, have you ever noticed if you howl at the moon, there's this. It, 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 there's a reason wolves howl at the moons and the coyotes, because when you howl, it brings something. I don't know if it's the primitive nature of of yourself or what, but it it seems to pull something out of you and releases it to the moon. Could you be. Know? It, it does. It, a long you know, howl. There you know? is that. There is that sound vibration that will definitely release stuff from you if you well that's they've got they've got scream therapy so i would think it would be the same thing you know you just you know you release whatever it is that is you know making you uncomfortable well when next time there's a full moon you know i will go howl just just get a nice long soft howl or a loud loud it depends you know but it's just but there's just something about it after you get get done with the howls there's just you just there's a release there there is all of a sudden it just feels like everything is okay with the world i don't know what it is but that'd be something otherwise the wolves and coyotes wouldn't be doing it well i would agree with you on that one my husband do a puppy wolf howl (laughs) (laughs) no puppy no puppy howls (laughs) just get a nice long one I think I think, you know, there is so much with nature that that we have forgotten and that we're not connected to. I know there's a movement called earthing that talks about, you know, you need to walk barefoot on the on the bare ground to synchronize your heartbeat with that of the planet. So that so that, you know, well, it's like when you work in the garden, you know, people say, well, it's so relaxing to walk in the garden. 
the mm-hmm. dirt itself has some sort of bacteria in it that uh, when you get your hands in it and you start stir- you know stirring it up same way with the feet it releases that bacteria that somehow works you know, with your brain that causes a release of, uh, what is that, uh, melatonin, I think, is it not, no, serotonin, I think it Serotonin, is. yes. Yeah, and it releases that, so it gives you that feeling of grounding, that, um, you know, that, um, you know, like you said, that oneness. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so it's very, very calming. And, and like a tree, too, like if you have a lot of stress, um, the you just lean up against the tree, put your back up against that tree, and just kind of become one with that tree. And that tree's designed in a way of what it does is it pulls all that negative out of you, and then it it takes it down into the root system, and which is in the dirt, and it and it cleans it up, and then it sends it back up through the root, up through the tree, and then releases it through the upper branches back into the sky. And it'll, you'll see, again, it, it takes away pain. It, it helps you to relax. And then if you need energy, have you ever seen how a, um, a dog or an animal will go out into the grass and they scratch on the grass, you know? And um, and what that is is um, same thing. It uh, it energizes the grass. You know, it uh, yeah. What you do is you go out there barefooted and you just kind of shuffle your feet through that grass, mm-hmm. and it releases again something from the grass that goes up into your brain, and it it energizes you. Oh, and that's I, why yeah. a dog will always go out and scratch, and then they roll too into the grass. For energy. Hmm. I thought they were just scratching fleas, but that does make nope. sense. Oh no, they're they're pulling energy. No, that makes great sense. Animals no. are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Well, the thing is, they're smarter than us. It's like the Bigfoot when they the and um the um Enkidu when they separated from us. See, they retained all that knowledge, and see, we've got. We don't have that knowledge anymore because it's been schooled out of us. So maybe, that's why we need to go just, back and start watching nature again and understanding it. I don't think we've lost it. I think it's just hidden. Mary, thank you so much tonight. This was so much fun. Uh, thank you, listeners. I hope you buy my books. Okay. And uh, good. Radio at freedomslips.com. We'll be right back after this message. This is Barbara DeLong, host of Nightlight Radio, inviting you to join me on a cosmic journey, exploring a metaphysical montage of spiritual material, covering everything from the mundane to the magical 
UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between, including spiritual readings for those who seek enlightenment. Let Nightlight provide you with equal measure of light, love and laughter, insight, wisdom, and inspiration. Monday nights, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern, right here on Studio B, Revolution Radio, at freedomslips.com. <laughs>